Welcome back to the program. Looks like Ontario is uh, passing the 65% in terms of uh, first doses of uh, vaccine. That is uh, great news. That is to be celebrated. And as we move forward with that, we are now, of course, uh, the news today, moving up second doses a little quicker. We also know that uh, in the country overall, that the first dose percentage has now passed that of the Americans. Obviously, our second dose and fully vaccinated numbers are far, far behind the Americans. But south of the border, they have now kind of topped out in terms of vaccine uptake. And now what we're seeing is all kinds of incentives, including yesterday, California, the state of California, announcing it is going to offer $116 million U.S. in cash and gift cards to residents who get vaccinations before June 15th. This is the latest and the most lucrative incentive by any U.S. state to try and persuade people, skeptics and those who are hesitant to actually get the injection. And, you know, it's not something that we have faced kind of up until now in Canada and in the province, but we've hit 65 percent. And kind of part of the reason that we are moving up the ability to get second doses is we have run directly in to hesitancy. And to help me talk about how we deal with that, I'm pleased to welcome to the program Dr. Maya Goldenberg, who is an associate professor in the Department of Philosophy at the University of Guelph. Doctor, how are you today? Uh, I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Well, thank you so much. I mean, do you think we have hit kind of a wall uh, in terms of first doses, at least, of vaccine hesitancy here in Ontario? Mm, I I actually don't think that's obvious yet. Um, When we talk about vaccine hesitancy, um, it can only be measured when access is fully there. So it's only when you're living under conditions where vaccines are easy to get and easy to uh, accommodate into your busy schedule that we can start measuring hesitancy because there are people there that will have it available to them, but will say no, no, thank you. Right now, we are still struggling with access problems. And because of that, it's not always clear who are the hesitators and who are um, holding off because they have access problems. Do we have any reliable data on the, the number of Canadians who would identify themselves as either hesitant or resistant to taking the vaccine? No, we don't. Uh, we know that they are, there are at least some, but it's hard to say exactly how much. Um, it, it's a difficult measure of vaccine hesitancy because there's a lot of reasons that people uh, hesitate about vaccines. And also it's along a spectrum. Some people are very resistant and some are a little bit on the fence about things. But we know coming into COVID, we know from from our research and our knowledge of previous vaccines, especially pediatric vaccines uh, and uh, and influenza vaccines, that a lot of people are not trusting of, of vaccines. Uh, I shouldn't have said a lot of people. A good number, enough to at least make public health uh, worried about it because we need high coverage in vaccination. And it's never been the case that there has been, uh, you know, 100% confidence in vaccines in the public. And that's I can make that as a historical point. There's always been concerns and uh, resistance to, to vaccines, uh, you know, back to the days of Edward Jenner, which was the creator of the uh, the first vaccine back in the late 1700s. There's always been vaccine resistance, and there's no reason to think that there wouldn't be some uh, regarding these new COVID vaccines. So then talk to me about herd immunity. You know, it's a, a term that we get th- thrown around, and then we have a percentages that seem to move up and down the scale depending on who's talking and how important it is. Give me a sense of how important uh, herd immunity is, what you think that percentage is, is, the percentage is there. 
Um, I can only speak to what the what the epidemiologists are calculating. That's out of out of my domain. Mm-hmm. But we've heard uh, we've heard that if uh, we vaccinated somewhere, you you hear numbers somewhere between seventy five to eighty five percent of the population if they were vaccinated, we would achieve herd immunity. Um, the predictions now are that we are not going to reach herd immunity around right. COVID. What we're going to do is we're going to vaccinate as many people as possible, and it'll probably the the virus or the disease will become endemic, which just means it'll become a lesser, uh, a less serious vaccine, uh, a less serious disease, and it'll sort of circulate and have little flare-ups here and there, much li- like a, a seasonal in- in influenza. So we can manage it, but it'll be part of our lives for a long time. I'm speaking with uh, Dr. Maya Goldenberg, who's a uh, professor in the Department of Philosophy at the University of Guelph. Uh, talk to me about incentives and how they work and and what's the you know, what's the uptake? Are they successful? Are they, are they, is that something that we should pursue? There's probably no harm in doing it because, well, there can be harms. Um, incentives work. I mean, people do all kinds of things to get free stuff. We know that, you know, <laughs> I'll give up a lot of my data so that I, my ninth latte will be free. So we know incentives work. Um, and they've been known to work around public health measures too. So they might be effective for a number of reasons around vaccination. So looking at what California is doing, giving out cash, it is calling attention to the issue. It's reminding people that vaccination is important. It's doing, it's giving people reason, people who are on the fence and maybe haven't vaccinated yet because they're busy and they don't want to take the time off to recover. You know, there's all kinds of reasons people haven't vaccinated yet. Let's call, call those people on the fence giving them that incentive around a June 15th date might get people to just go and do it already. So you might have some effect. It's not going to make a big difference for people who are adamantly against vaccines or have major concerns about uh, safety or, or things like that, because a small cash prize isn't going to make much of a difference. But the, it's the small differences that uh, might actually overall have an effect. So there's no reason not to do small incentives. The only place that want it have the effect. I've I've talked to some doctors who say that it has the effect of that. You know, people will hold on. Now they'll say, "Well, well, maybe, maybe you know, maybe there's a lottery around the corner. I'll wait for that." Oh, um, well, you know, lotteries. (laughs) I I wouldn't wait too long for that because we don't know that those lotteries are coming, and we also, as you know, your chance of winning a lottery are also (laughs) also really low. But I wanted to highlight the worry about incentives is that they are felt unevenly and they can't they can't be considered coercive. So if you start getting into huge cash prizes and big, uh, big rewards, there's the risk that people say, hey, I'm not this choice is feeling less free. It's one thing to top me up with a little bit of a push, but another thing to make it so compelling that I feel like I need to do it. And and then the choice is not free. We also know that even a cash prize is going to be more meaningful to people who are in vulnerable situations. Uh, You know, people who are really low on cash and are struggling, it's going to mean more to them than others. And we want to have incentives that kind of distribute the, the, uh, the benefits and the, the desire to vaccinate uh, across the population in, in a fairer way. We'll have to leave it there, Doctor. Thank you so much for your time today. No, thanks so much. It was nice to talk to you. That is Dr. Maya Goldenberg, who is an associate professor in the Department of Philosophy at the University of Guelph.